Welcome to So Tell Me More, a podcast where you can join Prabnur and Navya, two psychotherapy students, as they dive into various topics through a psychotherapy lens. This podcast will get you thinking and reflecting on all things mental health, ranging from self-care to learning more about what exactly cognitive behavior therapy is. We hope you stick around. For today's episode, episode one, we will be introducing what psychotherapy is, types of evidence-based psychotherapies, including psychoanalysis, CBT, and mindfulness, and ending off with addressing some myths about therapy that we've heard. All right, so we can start off by talking a bit about psychotherapy and what exactly is psychotherapy. So if we look up the definition, you often find that psychotherapy is a talk-based therapy that's aimed to improve people's well-being. And it's often individuals that are seeking psychotherapy when they have thoughts, feelings, moods, or behaviors that are adversely affecting their day-to-day lives, relationships, or their ability to enjoy life in general. So oftentimes, this can consist of individual, couple, or group therapy, and this is often done in a collaborative effort where you have this relationship where the client and therapist are working together to bring about that positive change in the client's life. So if we were to break this down a bit, you're looking at a talk-based therapy that's aimed to improve well-being and is a collaborative effort so everyone's working together to help one another reach those goals. Yeah, and just to add, when we're talking about psychotherapy, an acronym that commonly comes up is the CRPO. It comes up a lot for us, at least in our in our program, and I'm not sure if it does for, for others, but I think it's important to at least address what that stands for. So CRPO stands for the College of Registered Psychotherapists of Ontario. It's a little bit of a mouthful, but essentially every healthcare profession has some sort of college that is overlooking the members of that college and ensuring that they're practicing ethically and also making sure that the well-being of patients is sort of their priority. And so it's the exact same for psychotherapists. We also have this college that we would then register to be a part of after we graduate. And then they just make sure that we are acting ethically, practicing ethically, and really thinking about the clients first. Their general mandate is to protect the public. Um, So yeah, now psychotherapy, as of 2007, is a regulated healthcare profession. And so, you know, the titles of psychotherapist, registered mental health therapist, as well as registered psychotherapists are all restricted to members of this college. And this wasn't the case before 2007. So that's just an important thing to keep in mind about the CRPO and about the profession of psychotherapy as well. Mm -hmm. One thing to note is that oftentimes these colleges, they're there not only to share information on what is governed within their college, but also there to protect the public. So if anyone at any time wants more information or just gain a better understanding of what the profession that they're exploring, in our case, psychotherapy, what it entails, what are rules around it, it'll be a great place for anyone really to just access it, go on Google, search up CRPO, and see how it's meant to help and support the public itself. Yeah, funny enough, when I first got into the program, I thought the CRPO was there for psychotherapists. And I was like, great, they're going to give us resources on how to be, you know, like great psychotherapists and they're there to protect us. But really, it's it's for the public, which I think is great. I'm so glad that we do have that college. But just like funny side note that that's sort of what my first reaction was when I heard about the CRPO. Yeah, no, honestly, I was in the exact same boat. I was like, oh, cool, cool. So this is a great place to share resources and learn mm-hmm. more about how 
I can be helped, but that was not the case. So you weren't alone in that, Navia. (laughs) But yeah, that's just a little bit more about psychotherapy in general and what it entails and what colleges we are governed by. So we can transition into talking a little bit more about some evidence-based psychotherapy. So today we'll be talking about psychoanalysis, CBT, and mindfulness. Now, we can definitely dedicate a whole episode to each respective therapy, but today we're thinking let's give a little bit of an introduction to some things that are often heard in the public and you might not fully know what it entails. So we'll start off with psychoanalysis. And I know that many people, when I say psychoanalysis, might automatically think of Freud lying down on a couch or analyzing your dreams. I know that this is something that I often did when I was learning about it initially, but essentially psychoanalysis is a theory of personality and psychopathology. So it's a method of investigating the mind and a theory of an approach to treatment itself. So most often the therapy style that is associated with psychoanalysis is actually psychoanalytic therapy or psychodynamic therapy. And this is a type of therapy that generally people will be engaged in one to two times a week for 12 sessions, or it can be more depending on what an individual needs. This therapy itself, so the psychoanalytic or dynamic, is looking at more of a face-to-face interaction. So initially when we were looking at psychoanalysis, you have that idea of lying down on a couch and that wasn't from nowhere. Oftentimes when we think of Freud and how he conducted the therapy, there was that element of couch involved in it. So with psychoanalytic therapy or psychodynamic, you have more of that face-to-face interaction. So the client and the therapist are more engaged and there isn't that separation that you might find if you have one person on a couch and another person on a chair discussing those other things. In addition to that, there are a few distinguishing factors for psychoanalytic theory. So you have a focus on effect and expressions of emotions. You're exploring attempts to avoid thoughts and feelings that are distressing to an individual. There is the identification of recurring themes and patterns. There's also a discussion of past experiences, and this is oftentimes associated with like developmental focus and also an exploration of interpersonal relationships and how that is affecting one. And overall, the goal for such a therapy is to relieve distressing symptoms and foster an adaptive functioning. So this is essentially a sense of self-awareness and understanding of any influences that someone's past or their present behavior has on them. Yeah, it's actually really cool that there's that image of sitting on a couch and, you know, having someone scribble down notes on a notepad and how it's not necessarily like that today. Although a couch does sound very comfortable, I would be totally okay to pay and lie down on a couch for an hour. But I, you know, it just gets me thinking about body language too and how important, at least in our classes, we've sort of focused on, well, you know, we want to pick up on people's body language and see their reactions to things we're saying and how difficult that could be if you're like, on a couch and someone else is on a chair and you're not even looking at each other like I can't even imagine being able to pick up on body language in that case Mm -hmm. yeah and it's so interesting to see how things transition over time as well so from what we initially assumed psychoanalysis to be or what it was and how that's evolved overall is pretty cool too Mm -hmm. And I remember when we first were learning about psychoanalysis in class or discussing sort of the foundations of psychotherapy, we were discussing how psychoanalysis would sometimes go on, at least in the past, for like years and years of a person's life, they would be in therapy and they would be seeing the same therapist. And yeah, that just seems 
pretty mind-blowing to me, <laughs> given our healthcare system now and how we want things to be short-term and, you know, give people, you know, a quicker intervention and then let them sort of live their life. It, it's cool to see how that's transitioned. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is pretty neat that it is a lot more short-term Yeah. And speaking of short term, we can now talk about CBT or cognitive behavior therapy. So this is an incredibly popular therapy. You know, you're probably hearing it quite a bit for the last couple years, like it's it's pretty much everywhere. And there's a reason for that, right? It's not just psychobabble, it's not just buzz, like it, there's a reason why it's so popular and it, it's because it's so well supported in research and also clinically very well supported. Uh, anecdotally, people have some really great experiences with CBT and it can be used for a wide range of problems from you know marriage counseling to severe mental illnesses. It does have that very wide range. And essentially, CBT uses cognitive strategies as well as behavioral strategies to target cognitions, emotions, and behaviors. And these cognitions, emotions, and behaviors, uh, we call the cognitive triad. So they sort of make up our experiences or how we react to situations in our lives, right? So what we learn very early in CBT as therapists and as well as participants is we want to try to map out like what are our cognitions, what are our emotions, and what are the behaviors in a given situation. And then we sort of tackle each of those. The thing is, though, emotions we can't really change. That's sort of how you feel, right? Like no one's going to sit in therapy and tell you, you're telling me you feel sad, but like, let's challenge that. That's not really how it works there, right? So we don't target the emotions. The emotions are are you, they're raw, they're honest, right? What we do focus on are the cognitions and behaviors, which is why it's called CBT. So yeah, uh, a little bit more about CBT. It is a time-sensitive, present-focused, structured, and collaborative therapy. This is a lot of words, but essentially it is a short-term therapy like we were discussing. It could be around 12 sessions up to maybe 20, just depending on um, the presenting problem and the, the relationship that the therapist has with the client and having some insight into what the client needs. So it definitely can range. It's also present focus. So even though we spend some time collecting background information, developmental history, all kinds of information about that, really we are focusing on skill building in the present as well as how those skills can be used in future situations. So very much present focused and it's structured. This was actually the biggest surprise for me with CBT because I thought therapy was like just talk therapy. You walk in, you talk for an hour, you leave and you feel pretty good, I would hope afterwards. But CBT has an incredible structure to it and it is very well broken down, I find. Right. So there's an agenda for every session, typically. Um, You know, it's a very collaborative agenda as well. So you typically ask the participants in the group if there's anything they want to bring up or if that individual client wants to bring up about, um, you know, their week or anything that happened. And you can add that to the agenda. So it is it is very structured that way. And that helps in the sense that you are learning skills. And so you want to have time to review previous skills, practice and teach the current skills and then take you know, take away some sort of homework or or some sort of takeaway um, message, I guess, from the session and then spend time at home actually practicing those skills. And then in that sense, it's very collaborative. So you are working together with the therapist and the participant, both of them learning these skills together, practicing some of the skills together too. That's a huge part of it. And then in terms of our program, we are very CBT focused. Even our placements, they're all in CBT environments. 
And so there is a huge focus on that. Yeah, yeah. I remember when I first heard about CBT, I wasn't entirely sure about what it was. Through our placement, what I've gotten a chance to observe is that it almost feels like a workshop. So especially in the group-based therapies that I've had the chance to observe, where you engage with a whole group, however, it is taking that opportunity to teach everyone various skills that they can then work on and integrate into their own lives to help them overcome certain things that they might be struggling with. So CBT is very skillful in that sense. And you're building on this toolbox where you're trying to uh, gather all these skills and learn and how you can incorporate them into your life. So it's a pretty interesting therapy where it's not what you might envision it to be. Yeah, I think of it as very practical with the toolbox analogy. Like it really is adding things to your toolbox, building on your toolbox and then trying it out, right? Because, you know, your toolbox could be sitting in the garage dusting for years and years until you get a chance to try it. So CBT is very active in that sense, right? Like we're, we really want to get people to be trying all these skills they're learning at home and in session. So I think that's pretty great. So we can jump into mindfulness now, which is one of the last things that we're going to be talking about in this episode for the therapies. And its history is quite complex in terms of its origin uh, within the Western worldview. So mindfulness as we know it and have been taught through our program itself is based in Buddhism and its teachings. So within mindfulness, you can look at it from two parts. There is something called the mindfulness awareness and the mindful practice. So if we look at mindful awareness this is a deeper understanding and what that means is you're trying to free yourself from reflexive or automatic thinking so what our brain or our mind automatically jumps to you want to uh, be able to recognize when you might be doing that and have the ability to step back and realize that maybe I can opt for another route rather than the way my body or my brain automatically jumps to a certain thing that I might be habitually linked to there is the other part where you're looking at mindful practice. And mindful practice is essentially a practice of intentionally being open, caring, and non-judgmental on yourself. And that is just trying to be kinder to yourself and recognizing when you might be having those moments when you realize that, oh, I'm making a judgment or I'm being harder on myself than I would be, let's say, to a friend. So realizing when these things might be occurring and just being aware of that and possibly finding another route to go about whatever situation you may be in. So there are a few mindfulness-based therapies that I'm going to touch on or briefly mention today. And these are also great. And I think this is going to be a common theme of today where we can definitely spend a whole episode on each of these individually. But some of the mindfulness-based therapies that people might have heard of are acceptance and commitment therapy or ACT, as some people may call it. There is dialectical uh, behavior therapy and mindfulness-based cognitive behavior therapy. And I know, Navi, I think you've been able to have uh, the opportunity to sit in on an MBCT group this practicum. How's that been going? It's really cool, actually. I was a little nervous going into it just because I think, so just to give everyone context, we took a mindfulness course last semester and you know, I thought it was very interesting. I think okay, it was great that we had a whole course on it. I was a little nervous going into the group, though, just thinking that, I, you know, my practice, like, I wasn't very good at <laughs> practicing mindfulness, to be honest. And that's a judgment, I'm aware. But, you know, what what I mean to say is I wasn't consistent with my mindfulness practice. And so I'm like, am I qualified to be here and be observing a group? But I absolutely love a lot of things that mindfulness stands for, like the openness, the non-judgment, and also the 
the taking a pause. I think in our busy, busy lives, we are, a lot of us are acting on autopilot, right? Like I wake up, brush my teeth, open my laptop, check my email. It's like super, super reflexive. It's just very easy for me to do and it's just so interesting that if I could take a pause between each moment I could actually be more present in my life I feel like certain days I'm like I have no idea when I ate when I woke up when I fell asleep because it's just happening so quickly and so that's what I absolutely love so far yeah I think that's been really cool for me just to take a a moment and be like you know I want to mindfully fold laundry today or I want to just be more mindful when I'm eating just like very simple things that you could do what about you Pravnur? I think you know you probably had some experiences through our class as well with mindfulness yeah and you know what's it's been a funny relationship actually I went in thinking I really like the idea of mindfulness I didn't know too much about it but I thought that I really wanted to have it incorporated in my work later on in life in some capacity and as I did the course I found it so challenging Mm -hmm. so we had weekly uh, meditation practices or various practices that we were encouraged to follow and I had a hard time keeping up with that like Naivia said in in terms of being consistent it was challenging and for that reason I thought you know what if I can't practice it how can I possibly encourage others to do it so I thought maybe this isn't the way to go but then towards the end I noticed that I would oftentimes take pauses in my day and try to do some of those shorter practices and incorporate them into my life so Mm -hmm. even earlier on today I was like oh my god I'm having an overwhelming moment right now let me take like a quick three minute breathing exercise and try to just bring myself back to this moment and focus on what is important right now so I think it's been really helpful in that sense where I've actually had the chance to learn it be a little frustrated with it but then (laughs) grow from that experience and try to incorporate into my life and I think it's very different from person to person Mm -hmm. it might not be for everyone but uh, we really do encourage you to check out which ones might work for you and how that would be Mm -hmm. yeah I think that's such an important point that it really you know, it works for some people. The other thing is that it works for you in certain times as well, right? Like sometimes people aren't in a stage of their life where they can dedicate time to mindfulness. They can be fully submerged in mindfulness, right? And so it really is about being compassionate with yourself, giving yourself time. And if you are interested, knowing that there's really no right or wrong way to do mindfulness. That's something that Mm -hmm. I learned. Like it's about the intention. It's about the attitudes that you take into it. And it's really about trying your best and learning from that because it very much is, I think of it as like unpacking parts of yourself through mindfulness, right? You get more in tune with yourself. It's not all about the breath. A lot of it is about your outside environment, depending on the practice. Some of it is like focused on the body. So it's very interesting how many different types of practices there are. So maybe sometimes if you had a bad experience with one, you could always try another one and see what works for you. So for the last part of our episode today, we wanted to do a little bit of myth busting, which is very exciting for us being students in this program. I think it's such a huge part of why we started this podcast. I'm glad we could jump right into it for our first episode, or I should say dive right into it for our first episode. So for this part, we've collected some myths from family and friends, and also we reflected on our own myths before entering the program, or maybe things that we still are working on 
at the moment. So we've sort of collected some of them. And what we'll do is we'll take turns just uh, sharing the myth and then we'll just discuss it. We're going to openly talk about sort of why that may or may not be true, what parts of it maybe aren't as accurate as um, people might think. And just, yeah, hopefully it'll be informative and entertaining for everyone. So I can read the first myth. All therapists want to do is talk about your childhood. I've heard this one quite a bit. And I think this came from one of my family members where they're like, this is what I've heard from someone. That that's all they want to do. So what are your thoughts? <laughs> yeah, I was actually going to say this is something that I had heard a lot. And mm -hmm. because I heard it around and it was so normalized, I thought yeah. that is what therapy was before mm -hmm. coming in and really exploring it more is yeah. it's talking about what happened when you were younger and how that affected you. And I think that although childhood and developmental information can at some times be be a key factor it's not necessarily the focus of mm -hmm. therapy and it, each therapy is distinct in itself that it might uh, look at it more or less but there are different types of modalities that are looking at different things like if we look at cbt for example it is quite skill focused so for mm -hmm. that reason you might explore a little bit about um, your developmental years or maybe some of your past experiences but it won't be a focus on that rather how is that affecting how you are now and what can we do at this moment to give you skills so you can combat what you're experiencing at the moment so there isn't as much of a focus on what happened in your childhood for like cbt in particular and i think it varies from therapy style mm -hmm. to therapy style yeah definitely i think mindfulness is another great example of where we don't focus all that much on childhood at all or the past um mindfulness is very present focused it, it's all about being in the present moment experiencing the present moment and actually mindfulness doesn't even look at the future the way that cbt might it's not teaching you skills that you can use tomorrow it's more of a long-term practice that you're engaging in mm -hmm. so another myth that we found is that therapy is too expensive and takes forever. <laughs> the point about taking forever, I feel like part of that could be the amount of work that goes into it. It, it oh, yeah. is time consuming. It does take work, but ultimately I think I did address this a little bit when we were talking about psychoanalysis right mm -hmm. when it was popular very very long time ago still is but way back when when psychoanalysis was sort of the peak therapy that everyone was going for people did spend years and years in therapy and that's maybe where this is coming from so it was definitely true in that time but what happened is I think I read a little bit about this when we were in our in our classes but wait lists got longer there were less and less professionals who wanted to go into it just because it took a, a fair amount of training and so people were just waiting for support and waiting for intervention and then they realized this isn't gonna work like our world is going faster we need mm -hmm. therapy to move with it we can't be having people in therapy for years although it might be nice to have sort of that support system we do want people to be independent that being said, therapy may not last forever, but the skills are definitely applicable to all stages of life. And they, it is ultimately for you to be using all day, every day, whenever it's sort of applicable in your life, of course. But that's the thing. You don't finish therapy and sort of throw out the toolbox. That toolbox stays with you. So hopefully that makes sense. That's kind of where that myth is coming from, though, from psychoanalysis days way back when. Yeah, and then even the first part of that, talking about therapy being too expensive, mm -hmm. and it would be unfair to not acknowledge that therapy is expensive. It At is. least here in Ontario, it's not covered unless you are covered through some kind of insurance with some of your employers, but that's not the case for all individuals. Mm -hmm. So it can be a little challenging to sometimes access that. 
But that being said, there are certain organizations that offer a sliding scale. And essentially what that means is you pay what you can at that moment. And I think each organization has various rules around that. But that's something that people can also explore if they want to access therapy and they feel like they just can't because they can't afford it. There are also various organizations that offer free therapy depending on where you are and what the circumstances are. And there are other publicly funded organizations. So the place that we're at is at a hospital and they do offer this covered under OHIP. So there are other Mm -hmm. options. Yeah. And also knowing the difference between private practice versus sort of public um, organization. So that's important because if you're looking at just private practice, those can be more expensive because they're usually an individual format. So that's important to note. Okay. So the next one is therapy is only for severe cases of mental health concerns. Big myth. Absolutely not. So I think that it's not unfair that people might think that, but it's definitely not the case. I think therapy is for anyone that feels like they need it. Oftentimes therapy is addressing those distressing symptoms that you're having or a struggle that you feel like you're trying to overcome. It does for sure include individuals that might be experiencing clinically relevant depression or anxiety or other diagnosis as well. But if you're struggling with something or you feel like you need help, it's definitely an option for anyone who might need it. Yeah, and I think a big part of it is how it impacts your life, right? How it's impacting your functioning. If something is getting that much in the way where you're distressed, it might be a good idea to seek some support for it. And I like to call it support because I think all of us need support in one way or another in our lives. Yeah, and then another myth that we had come up was you are weak and a failure if you need therapy or professional support. Yeah, another big, big, big myth. Um, I hate the words weak and failure, and I think that's such a societal thing these days. Um, I could probably talk about this all day, but like assigning those labels of being weak and a failure just because you were seeking support, but absolutely not. I was just reflecting on this myth because I definitely know that it's embedded not only in my family, but definitely in my in my close circle, right? It's something that people bring up often. And I was like, well, you know, if you go to a guidance counselor let's say at school for help with career counseling that's seeking support so why is therapy all that different like I'm thinking about just like smaller situations of that so it really is something that we should be normalizing everyone is sort of going through different degrees of of difficulties in life life isn't easy you know we haven't made life easy in any sort of way for ourselves either with how fast-paced and difficult and competitive it can be so it's absolutely okay to be seeking support and I think you actually show so much strength knowing when you need that support and when you want to talk to a professional. I think that shows a whole lot more courage than it does hiding it and sort of living with it. Yeah, and I think think anyone at any time could, like Navia said, need support. It's not necessarily that you only need to go when things are at its worst or if you do need a helping hand that there's anything wrong with that. And I think the way we define weak and failure Mm -hmm. is very, very subjective in the sense that everyone has different meanings of what they think is success in their life. So if you feel like you want a little bit of help, I think seeking support in that getting therapy or just getting any kind of professional advice is completely valid and something that should be encouraged in society absolutely yeah 
So the next myth is if I go to therapy, there will be a record of this and that could impact my job or my social prospects, my entire life sometimes people think. Yeah, and I think that's that's a fear that many people might have, especially if you're unsure about what therapy can entail, but that mm-hmm. is definitely a big myth. There are big rules around confidentiality that yes. are going to respect your privacy and everything that you do disclose in a therapy session. Now, within confidentiality, there are certain limits, mm-hmm. and oftentimes the big ones that are to note are that if there's any harm to yourself or others that is associated or disclosed in sessions, or there are a few other things that those can be revealed but Mm -hmm. if if it doesn't fall within those limits there is nothing else that will be shared with an employer or a school or anything else yeah there's a lot of systems in place especially in the healthcare field to ensure confidentiality even as students observing sessions let's say or in our practicum we're held to the same standards as any professional so i know sometimes people are a little Uh, confused about okay well you're a student so can you sort of go and talk to anyone about what's going on absolutely not we are training to be professionals and so we act accordingly but yeah confidentiality is a huge huge aspect and if you're ever confused about it it's totally okay to ask as well right like what are the limits to confidentiality what are situations where you might have to release some sort of records and being aware of that can just make you feel a lot more comfortable I think in therapy and just even all overall seeking support okay so the next myth and this one definitely I think um we plan to give a lot more time to in the very near future hopefully because I think this is super confusing even for us um but psychotherapists can prescribe medication that's the myth Yeah, and this is confusing in the sense that when we look at who can actually provide psychotherapy, this is where it gets a little tricky. So when we look at the controlled act of psychotherapy, there's a variety of individuals that actually can give psychotherapy. So this includes psychologists, social workers, nurses, occupational therapists, and physicians. So when we look at this aspect of prescribing medication, only a medical doctor can actually give someone medications. And oftentimes this is either a GP or a family doctor or a psychiatrist. So in that sense, there are some physicians who do give therapy. And if we're looking at it from that perspective, they can. But generally, psychotherapists are individuals that are not medical doctors. And unless you are a medical doctor, you cannot prescribe any medication. Yeah, this can be confusing because it's sort of hard to manage expectations when people are unclear about sort of what your role is. But mm-hmm. yeah, psychotherapists are more focused on the therapy part of things. So so offering that cognitive, behavioral and emotional support and, and those skills. Um, but yeah, we can definitely talk about that in a future episode. All right. So those are some of the myths that we had collected from our family, friends, and things that we've just heard overall or things that we might have experienced. But another thing that I've experienced, and I think Navia, we, we mm-hmm. talked about this as well, is that now that we're in the program, we've oftentimes found that either family or friends have come up to us and asked us for our advice or asked us thinking that we have all this knowledge and we know exactly <laughs> what to say and we have all the answers to what they might be going through. And sometimes we're taken aback because we are human it's hard and we don't have all the answers and we might not know exactly what to say at all times we are still learning and it's definitely a process that you have to go through and Mm -hmm. we'll probably make mistakes along the way still 
Yeah, I think that's the I, I've been saying beauty a lot, but really that's the beauty <laughs> of being a student right now. It's it's making those mistakes in a safe environment. It's having those supervisors that are there to support you. And sometimes when people approach you outside of that learning context, it can be a little overwhelming. Have that pressure that okay, now I need to sort of solve their problems on the spot. And like a lot of the myths that we talked about, that's not how they're like, you know, I can't tell you one thing and it'll solve everything in your life, right? So it can be a little bit difficult for us as students, but I think that's a, a big myth to, to bring up just closing off that, that section that we are human. We don't have all the answers. Even our lives aren't perfect, right? Just because we're in the program doesn't mean we don't have problems. Doesn't mean we aren't stressed out and have concerns with other people. So I think that's completely natural and just part of being, you know, human. And on that note, we can close off our session. So uh, just to remind everyone that this information that we've been sharing in our episode is purely educational. We are not health professionals, just graduate students sharing these topics with you. Any podcast content is not intended to be a substitute for professional advice, diagnosis or treatment. And always seek the advice of a qualified healthcare provider with any questions regarding your mental health and well-being. And with that, there are a few resources that we'd like to share with you. So there is initially Good to Talk, and this is a confidential mental health support for post-secondary students in Ontario and Nova Scotia. There's also Kids Help Phone, which is a free counseling and a free crisis text line service that is offered 24-7. It is targeted towards the youth population, and it has lots of great mental health resources on their website. There is Connects Ontario, which is C-O-N-N-E-X Ontario, and this is a information and referral service which is focusing on mental health, addiction, and problems with gambling services in the province. They can be reached over the phone, chat, and email 24-7. And lastly, we have Wellness Together Canada, which is a free mental health and substance use portal for anyone in Canada, and they help you get connected with the appropriate resources that they think you might need. So with these resources, we do want to say that we do encourage you to check out any other local resources that you think are going to be useful or beneficial for you. These are just a few that we know of, but we do encourage you to seek support from wherever you think that you might need it if you do need it. And in terms of connecting with us, you always have the podcast episodes where we'll be talking to you. But more directly, you can contact us through our email, which is so tell me more podcast at gmail.com and our Instagram page with the handle at so tell me more podcast. You can check out our Instagram for any future updates, episode releases and promo in that sense. It's a great way to also share what you're interested in hearing as well as any feedback. Another interesting point is that CBT specifically, huge role of feedback in CBT. So we love feedback. Please <laughs> let us know what you like, what you don't like, what you're interested in hearing. And we would be happy to, you know, take that into consideration. And if you like what you hear today and in our future episodes, please subscribe to our show in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music and Google Podcasts or wherever else you're listening to right now. Yeah, and with that, we just want to say thank you so much for listening. We hope you learned something new or even just enjoyed hearing more about psychotherapy. We're excited to continue exploring new topics in future episodes, so we'll be looking out for any suggestions or feedback in that email. But for now, stay safe and take care. Bye.